Mr. J.T. Meyer, let's welcome J.T. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. You guys ready for Christmas? It's like a week and a half away. Who here is done with their shopping? Raise your hand. Uh-oh. It's the same thing last night. We, I think our church, we're full of a lot of last-minute shoppers. I don't know what that says about us. Um, but I love Christmas, and we're, we're in the middle of our Advent series, um, which Advent, by the way, it just, it's, it's the time leading up to Christmas, and, and, and we've been going week after week talking about Christmas and different things about it. Um, and I have to admit, like, I love Christmas. I love the whole season. I love all of the traditions I love the songs that you sing. I love the, the decorations. I, I remember when Laura and I first got married a number of years ago. Uh, we got married later in the year, uh, right, right before Thanksgiving. And a couple weeks after we got married, Laura was at work one day, and I thought, right, you know what? I'm going to decorate our house. You know, I'm going to you know, start our, 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 our family tradition and decorate our house. And I went to Target and bought all of these decorations and, and did it up. Uh, and she comes home and, and walks in the door. And this, I'm not making this up. Her first words were, oh, it looks like the North Pole threw up in our living room. <laughs> and, it, and it did kind of look like that. I went a little bit overboard, but... But I love Christmas, and you're supposed to go a little overboard on Christmas. Um, but one of my favorite things about Christmas and the season is the music. I love the music. I love the silly songs. I love the songs about snow. I love the songs about Santa. But I love the Christmas carols. I love them. And I think there's something really, really special about every time uh, for a couple months that you, you go into a grocery store or, or you go into the bank or the mall, that there are songs about Jesus being played in the marketplace. I think it's amazing that we have these songs declaring Jesus as king and that he's the savior and that he's the prince of peace that is being sung for uh, everywhere we go. I think actually there's something really significant and probably something really powerful that's happening because of that. And so this, uh, this Advent series, what we've been doing is looking at Christmas carols. We've been looking at these deep theological truths, these deep biblical truths that we see in these Christmas carols, um, and, and I've really enjoyed it so far. And, and this, this, uh, this week, we're doing one of my favorite ones. We're doing one that's really, really deep. It's called Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> that's not true. We're not doing Frosty. We're actually going to do one called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And this is one of my favorite, favorite Christmas carols. It's a song that is, is really, really old. It actually, uh, roots, uh, the roots of it go back to 750 AD. It was written in Latin by a guy named Cinewolf, is I think how you pronounce his name. Uh, don't quote me on that. I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, but it's been translated multiple times into multiple languages. But the current translation that we use, that you guys would probably be familiar with, was done in 1861 by a guy named John Mason Neal. And, and I'm going to jump in, but what, why don't we pray real fast? And, and when, I, when I finish praying, we're actually going to take a listen to the hymn. 
So Lord, we thank you that you're here. We thank you for this season that we get to celebrate you. And Lord, we just ask that you would be with us this morning as we look at your, at your word. Amen. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captives, that mourns in beautiful. I think it's a beautiful song. And, and, and one of the things I love about this song is it is, I think it's really unique. I think it's really unique from the, the, the rest of the Christmas carols that we sing. Um, one of the things I noticed about this song that I, I, I did a little bit of research, and, and you can, can correct me afterwards if I'm wrong, but I don't know of any other Christmas carols that are written in this, this perspective. Most of the Christmas carols are, are written when Jesus was born. They're saying like, oh, a child is born. The king has come. The prince of peace is here. Let's go and adore him and, and all of these things like that. But this one is written from the perspective of waiting, waiting for Jesus to come. And you can feel that tension. You can feel that longing for the Messiah, for, for Jesus to come. There's this crying out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And many of you guys know Emmanuel was a name given to, to Jesus. We can read about it in Matthew chapter one. 
It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so there's this crying out for God to come and be with us. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And don't you, don't you find so many, and I think rightfully so, so many of our Christmas songs feel very joyous and very happy. And that's great. I love those songs. And then we should have those songs. But this one has always felt sad to me. It's felt heavy. And, and, and I think a lot of them, the way it was written, it's actually, it's written in a minor key. And minor keys are often, they feel sad. But even the words, the words are like heavy. They talk about being in captivity. They talk about being in lonely exile. They talk about the, the dark clouds. And, and, and they even talk about death. And there's a heaviness to this song. And I think it's, 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 it's rightfully so because of the perspective of the waiting for Jesus to come. See, the Israelites who were waiting for Jesus, um, they had been through a lot. They had a very, very hard history. And they were, they were, I mean, at the time of Jesus coming, they were under brutal rule under the Romans. But they had been under captivity from multiple nations, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and then, and then currently they were under Roman rule. And there was this, this constant crying out for God to come and deliver them from the bondage, from the captivity that they were, they were under. And throughout history, there would be prophets who would, who would rise up and, and hear the, they would speak the voice of, of God and say, there is one who is coming who is going to deliver us. And they called him the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. And Messiah just means the chosen one. They say, the chosen one is going to come and he's going he's to deliver us from our enemies. He's going to deliver us from, from captivity. And this song is, is written in that kind of tension, like come and deliver us from, from this captivity. And this, these longings and these cries, they lasted generation after generation after generation. And not only were they, they under captivity, but they're, they're also oftentimes they, were, they found themselves in exile. And, and exile just meant that they were, they were displaced from their home. They were, they were kicked out of where, where they were living. They were, they were foreigners in a foreign land. They were strangers in a strange land. And there was this longing inside of them to come back home, to come home, and for God, the Messiah, to come and establish a home for them, to establish his kingdom. And so the prophets would, would say he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth, and it's going to be wonderful. And so they would cry out for the, the, the Emmanuel, God with us, to come give them home, to give them uh, freedom from, from captivity. And I wonder how many of us here this morning can relate to that feeling. How many of us relate to that feeling of, of may, maybe we feel like we're in captivity? Maybe you feel like you're in bondage, may, maybe bondage to an addiction. 
Maybe you struggle with, with, with an opiate addiction or you struggle with alcohol or you struggle with, with a pornography addiction or, or some kind of bondage where you just feel trapped. And, and you, you want to be delivered. You want to be free from it. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're stuck in a job that you hate and you just feel stuck or trapped in this job, or maybe you're in, in a relationship that you just feel like is, is unhealthy and you feel trapped in this relationship. And you long for freedom. You long for, to be set free. Or, or maybe for you, you feel like you're in exile. Maybe you feel like you're in exile, like you don't feel home. Maybe there's this turmoil, this tension inside of your heart where you feel like you're not quite where you're supposed to be. And, and you, you, maybe you feel lonely. Maybe, maybe you feel like, you know, you, you were made for a certain thing, but you, you, you can't do it for some reason. Maybe, maybe there's this longing inside of your heart to belong, to feel safe, to feel accepted, but you feel like you're in exile, like you are far from home, far from that place of safety. And this song hits on, on those feelings, hits on that, that longing. And not only those things, but I, I just feel like everybody in the world, whether, whether you're a believer or not, everybody in the world, when they look at this this. this this world that we live in, when we see the beauty that it can be at times, but we see the brokenness, when we see the, the evil, the hard, difficult, horrible things in this world, we, there's this longing inside of every single person that says, that's not right. Something, something has to be done about this. Something needs to be done. And in and, and this song, the perspective of, of before Jesus was born in the manger, before, before he came on, on that, 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 that beautiful night that we're going to celebrate, they were crying out for the Messiah to come. And they had been hearing centuries of prophecies about it, saying, God, would you come and ransom us? Would you come and save us? But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Wasn't he born? If there's that longing that the song is hinting out, didn't he come? Wasn't he born in the manger? Wasn't, wasn't he supposed to bring peace? Wasn't he supposed to bring joy and hope and, 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 and bring his kingdom? Why, why do we still feel those, those longings? Why is there still turmoil? Why is there still suffering? And, and, and see, I, I think this carol, the, the reason that it resonates with me so much, and maybe for some of you, is because it hits on this really deep, fundamental truth of life that is really important for us as, as believers to understand. And it touches on this deep truth that we are living in a time between times. We, we, we are living in a really unique point in history that Jesus did come. 
Jesus was born in a manger. Jesus did come to bring peace and hope, and he did. And Jesus did come to to bring his kingdom, and he did. And when Jesus came and lived the life that he lived, died the death that he died, there was freedom, there was redemption, there was salvation that was poured out in his blood, and and it it was a reason to celebrate. But we also understand, or we need to understand, that the fullness of that reality, the fullness of experiencing that reality of freedom, won't fully come until Jesus' second coming. The Bible talks about that Jesus is going to come again. And while he introduced his kingdom and, 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 and did bring freedom, it won't come and be realized in its fullness until he comes again. And we see this all over Scripture. Paul says it like this in, 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 in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So, so Paul is saying, we have redemption. He's talking about redemption as a past tense thing, like we've been redeemed. But then just like a couple pages later, he says, you were sealed for the day of redemption, meaning it's a future reality that we have been redeemed, but we will be redeemed. And that's a, that's, a, that's a really deep, complex truth, but it's the reality that we find ourselves in, that we have been saved, but we will be saved. We do see God's presence, but we will see it in its fullness when he returns. So you see, I believe that through the cross, Jesus set us free. That when he came to this earth, he did establish his kingdom. And, and, then, and then his cross has the power to break every chain, to, to make the wrong right in this world. But we are living in a time between times where we won't experience it until the second coming of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when he comes again, it's going to be beautiful. That he's going to wipe every tear He's going to break every chain. There'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more, no more tears. But now we are living in a time that, that oftentimes we refer to as the now and the not yet. We get to taste of that future kingdom. We get to taste of it, but not in its fullness until he comes again. And this is why you know, here at the Vineyard, we, we pray for one another. We lay hands on one another, and we believe that people are healed. I've seen people healed. I've seen miracles. And why sometimes we pray for someone and they're healed, and why sometimes we pray day after day and we see nothing, it's because we're in a time between times. We're living in attention. We're living and attention. John Piper says it like this. He says, the Christian life oscillates between these two poles, the overflowing joy of the already redeemed and the tearful yearning of the not yet redeemed. Not that we ever leave the one or the other in this life. We're in this constant tension, aren't we? Of the joy of Jesus that he's brought to us and for us, but the longing for when he comes in his fullness. And I'll tell you what, I love that there's a Christmas carol that recognizes that tension. 
I love the ones that are super celebratory, but I love that there's, there's at least one that recognizes that, that tension. And so let me ask you guys this. What do we do in that tension? What do we do with that tension that we feel? What do we do when we don't see God show up the way that we, we really want him to, that we're crying out for him to do? When, when maybe we, we're getting prayer week after week after week and we don't see anything change. Well, I think this carol actually gives us a, really, a, a couple really practical things that we can do. Two things that I see in this carol that I think are really healthy for us to do. And, and, and the first thing that I see in this carol is that we need to be really honest with what's going on in our lives. That it is okay to be honest and saying, this is what's happening in my life. This is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm struggling with. I, I love the language in this carol. It uses really deep language that says, I'm in, like, we're in lonely exile. There's loneliness. There's, there's this feeling of being displaced. It talks about the, the captivity. It talks about the gloom of night. And that there's a freedom for us to, 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 to verbalize those things as well. I remember a, a number of years ago, I was working at Starbucks. And I was an opener, and I am not a morning person. So I would uh, walk in the doors, and, and my first words would be grunts most of the time until I had like four shots of espresso. We were in there like 4.30 in the morning. Um, and I remember opening one morning with, a, with a, a friend of mine who was a new believer. And I remember asking him in the morning, I was like, hey, how you doing, man? And he was like, I'm doing great. Big smile on his face, I'm doing great. He's like, you know what I realized? If I'm a Christian, even if I'm not doing well, I need to tell people I'm doing great. So I can be an example. And something just like hit me. Like I was like, that seems weird. Like that doesn't seem right. Like I don't, th I don't think that's biblical. Like I kind of understand what he was saying and I'm, I'm not bashing him. He was young, but like, but, but it's not right. We don't see that in, in scripture. We see people over and over again in the Bible cry out and say, this is not right. This is not fair. I'm struggling. This is not good. Even, even Jesus, even in the life of Jesus, Jesus really verbalized when he was sad. He would talk about feeling sad. He would talk about things being hard. He would even say, God, this is so hard. Would you, would you take this away from me if you could? This is really hard. He, talk, he was angry. Like, it was, it's okay to, to, to talk about those things, to be honest with, with how we're feeling. And I think it's so key, it is so vital for us as a church to, to, to understand that we can be vulnerable with one another, that we don't have to put on a, a, a smiley face and say everything is okay, that we can tell people when we're having a hard time. Let me tell you guys this. Um, I see a therapist. I do, because I, I struggle with anxiety and, and depression. 
And I know for some of you guys, when you hear that, there's something weird, like you feel like it's strange to hear your pastor, one of your pastors say that they go see a counselor. But, but let me just tell you, I go to Jesus with these things and he helps me a ton. Another thing that helps me is going to a counselor and talking about them. It is really helpful. And, and the reason I'm telling you this, is really honestly, the reason I'm telling you this, this is so that you guys can know that it is okay to not be okay. That it's okay to struggle. It's okay to have hard things in your life. And it's okay for us to verbalize it. That it doesn't make us lesser. It doesn't make us more broken or, or, or like we don't have to have shame or embarrassment about those things. One of my favorite things about this, this church is how vulnerable we can be. How, how we, we don't like have pedestals that we, we can really be honest, that we're just people talking with one another and living life with one another. I love our small groups because our small groups are, are really... This, this is what we do. My men's group, by the way, if you're looking for a men's group, we meet Friday mornings at Panera. And what, pretty much the primary thing that we do at our men's group is just talk about what's going on in our lives. And, 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 and we listen to one another. And we, we can say, yeah, I've been there, man. I'm, I've struggled with that too. And, and we can talk about you know, financial difficulties or, or marital difficulties or parenting difficulties or, or, or emotional difficulties. We listen to one another and, and we just care for one another and pray for one another. And I think, honestly, I think this is one of the primary reasons that the church exists is to care for, for each other. It's not the only reason, but it is, it is one of the primary reasons. I love what Paul says in the book of Galatians when he's talking about the church. He's talking about the people of God. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. He's saying it fulfills the law when we carry each other's burdens when we walk, when we engage each other's suffering, when we, when we are really honest with each other and we help carry the load for one another, emotionally, physically, all kinds of ways, when we, when we like really do life together and we're not just coming on Sundays with a fake smile and saying everything is great. Because that's not what God is asking us to do. God is asking us to be really open and vulnerable with, with one another. And not just honest with each other, but we can be really honest with God with how we're doing. We can, be really, we can go to God and say, I don't like how things are going. And God, I don't like what you're, what you're doing in my life. I don't like this. This is not what I signed up for. Do you know that we can do that? There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations that pretty much is that. And God put it in his Bible. He put it in his book so that we could see that it's okay to, to wrestle with him and to say, God, this is, this is not what I thought it was going to be. That we can go to God and say, I'm unhappy with this. You, I, you, you promised me this, God, and I'm not seeing it. I think it's really healthy. I know in my life, I remember... There was a time before I, I worked here where I was, I was really struggling. And I, I, I had no idea what I was doing 
career-wise. I didn't know what I was, you know, I, I was single, um, and I really wanted to be married. I, I was just struggling in life and just having a really hard time internally, wrestling with a lot of things that, that a lot of us wrestle with. And I remember going to God and just telling him that I'm angry about it. I'm frustrated about it, that this is not what I thought was, was going to happen in my life. And, 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 and you know what happened? Is that in, in that communication, in that, 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 that dialogue with God, I actually began to feel so much closer to him. There was an intimacy that happened because I was really being honest with him for the first time and in, in maybe ever. I was being really honest about the state of my heart. And, 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 and really, we see this in relationships. In, in a healthy relationship with, with someone uh, who is healthy, you can go to them and say, this is what I'm unhappy with. And what that does is it addresses issues. Even if you're wrong in how you're feeling, it starts to bring up things that need to be brought up. And what happens is intimacy forms. It says, this is what's really going inside of my heart. And, and I, and I want to make it clear, some people will say things like, man, you could just go to God and cuss him out and tell him, like, blah, blah, blah. And, and I don't think, I think we need to respect him. I think that he is a, he needs to be honored. But I think he wants us to come and talk to him and tell him how we're feeling and what we're frustrated with. Because intimacy happens in those, those places. God, I'm upset. God, I'm, I'm, I'm grieving. I'm mourning. I'm lamenting. And we cry out for him. We say, oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel. Would you come and help me? Would you come and rescue my son? Would you come and save this marriage? Would you, would you come and, and heal this chronic pain? Would you come? And, and, and the beautiful thing is, is he comes. He comes. God is always with us. He is always with us. In the reality of this now and not yet, he is always with us. But the beautiful thing about the now and the not yet is the now sometimes happens. That when we cry out for those things, when we say, God, would you save me from this? Would you heal this? Is that oftentimes we see miracles. We see God move in supernatural ways when we cry out oftentimes. Guys, I have seen things that I cannot, I've seen tumors disappear right in front of my face. I have seen people that I've prayed for pain leave immediately. I've seen miracles happen in my life, but I've also prayed for people for years and seen nothing happen. And it's the tension, right? It is the now and the not yet. The Bible has this picture of the second coming of Jesus where it talks about this feast, right? It talks about this, this, this beautiful banquet that's going to happen and it's going to be, you know, so good. It's going to be the best food. It's going to be the best wine and everybody's invited and it's so good. And the Bible tells us that we get to taste of that feast today. We get a taste of it. We don't get the full banquet, but we get a taste. 
And let me just say, a taste is not the full meal, but a taste is really good. And it's real. And it's been those tastes of of that future uh, banquet that have sustained me through the hardest things in my life. It's been getting a taste of the kingdom of God that has helped me to, 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 to weather through the storms of life, to walk through the darkness because I've tasted that his kingdom is good. And so we live in that tension, right? Of the tastes that we get, but the longing for the full meal. And so the first thing we do that in that tension is we verbalize why it's hard. We, 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 we're honest with the difficulties. The second thing that we do in that tension is, is we choose to put our faith in him. Even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, we choose to trust him. We choose to worship him. You know, a couple weeks ago, we did a series on worship. If you guys remember, we talked about how worship is not a choice that we're constantly worshiping things. We are always worshiping, but what is a choice is who gets our worship. And so in the tension, we say, Jesus, you get my worship. We choose to worship him even when it doesn't make sense. I love the chorus of this carol. The verses are heavy, right? The verses talk about exile, loneliness, bondage, all these things, but then the chorus says, rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. And it actually musically changes from a minor key to, to a major key, and it, 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 it feels happy for, for a little bit. It feels joyous. And we see this in Scripture. We see this in the Bible. I love the Psalms. The Psalms are like the, the worship songs of the Israelites. And, and so many of them will start off by doing what we talked about earlier, saying, God, when are you going to do something about this? Or this is really hard. These people are, are attacking me, and it feels like you're not doing anything about it. I don't like this. But almost always they end by saying, but I trust you. You are good. You are faithful. You've been faithful before and you'll be faithful again. You're holy and you're good. And in the midst of our struggles, we can say the same thing. We can worship. And, 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 and I want to just kind of end off by giving us three reasons why we can worship in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the tension. And just real quick, one is we worship because of what he has done in the past. We worship him because what he has done, and I love this biblical principle. We see it all over the Bible of of this thing where it's like, remember what he has done. Remember that he has brought us out of Egypt. Remember that he delivered us through the Red Sea. And and oftentimes when there's a, a, a real significant things that happen, God will tell them, build like a monument. They call him an Ebenezer. Build an Ebenezer so that you can remember what I have done. And we worship him because we remember what he has done in our lives. We can worship him because he's brought us into a, a, 
a great church. We can worship him because, you know, because of our family, or we can worship him because we have a roof over our head. We can worship him because, you know, we have a job or, or whatever it is. We worship him because he died on a cross and paid the price that we deserve to, to, to pay. We worship him because he created the universe and put stars in the sky and, and created nature and the beauty of this world. We worship him for the things that he has done. So we worship him for the, the things he's done in the past. The second one is we can worship him for what he's currently doing in the present. We worship him because he is active right now in our lives. And we don't always understand what he's doing. The Bible tells us that his ways are way higher than our ways. I mean, we, we, don't, we don't understand it. They're better than ours, and they're, they're more intelligent. They're, they're just, they're, they're higher than ours. We don't always understand, but we can trust him in the suffering because Romans 8, 28 tells us that he will work all of the hard things, all of the difficult things, he will work them for our good. The Bible tells us, the Bible says that a lot. That he is constantly working things. It doesn't mean that he caused all the bad things necessarily, but he will work them for our good. They will turn out to, to make us stronger, to make us better. And, and this, let me just say, first of all, this is confusing, and I don't fully understand it, but I believe it. I believe it because I have seen it happen over and over and over and over again. In my life and the people around me, that I've seen the most horrible things happen, and years later I look back and I think, wow, God actually used that in that person's life. And, it, and it's, it's helped them in their ministry or, or, or something that's happened to me that I just thought was so horrible that I look back and I think, God, you actually helped mature me through that thing. And I wouldn't want to go through it again, but man, you used it for good. And I've seen it over and over again. And if I'm honest, I would say there are things in my life right now that I don't see him working for good. But I believe that he is. Because I am not yet at the end of the story. And the end of the story is really, really good, guys. Have you read the book? The end is really good. And so let me just say this to you. If you are suffering... If you are struggling, if you are in something that is hard today, there is good news. You are not at the end of the story. And, and God wins. And he makes all things new. He wipes away the tears. He takes away the pain. He, he drives out the shadows of night. He defeats death. He defeats sin. And all is made new. That, that is good news. You are not at the end of your story. And right now, we can worship him because he is working for the good for you. The story is a really good story. There's some rough parts in the middle, but it's a good story. And so that leads me to the, the, the final thing, final reason why we can worship in the tension and the suffering. We can worship him because what he's going to do in the future. We worship him for what he's done in the past. We worship him for what he's doing right now. But we can worship him for what he's going to do. 
We can hold on to the promises of the Bible. We can hold on to the promises of Jesus. Just like this carol says that, that many of us feel like we're in exile, we're mourning, we're, we're in captivity. But we can worship because he is going to come and rescue us. That is a promise. He will rescue us. Maybe not today, Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe, maybe not even on this side of heaven. But God is going to make all things right. One day things will be made new and we can rejoice in that. We can say things are hard right now and, and, and I can mourn and cry, but I can also celebrate because you're going you're gonna to win. I love what Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, we're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's the tension, right? We can mourn, but we can rejoice in our mourning. We can cry out, but we can, we can celebrate. And I know for many of you guys, um, I, know, I know some of your stories. I know what some of you are currently going through, and some of you I, I don't know at all, but I know there's some suffering in this room. There's some hardships. There, there are people who are struggling with, with mental illness. There are, there, there are people who are struggling with finances. There are people who are struggling in their families. But let me just say, there's power when, when we celebrate in the middle of the suffering. It doesn't mean we ignore it. It doesn't mean we, we shove it down. It doesn't even mean we say it's okay. It doesn't mean any of that. We can say, God, I do not like this. This is hard. This is, this is, this is bad. But I worship you in it. And, and I also know that there are, there are some folks here that you, you, you have never, um, you've, you've never connected your life with Jesus. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe, maybe there's a, this thing inside of you that, that when I was talking about that tension, that struggle, that feeling of bondage, of, of like things aren't right, that you really resonate with that. And maybe even that, that longing of feeling home or, or, or wanting to belong or to have this sense of purpose and identity, that that has always been this turmoil inside of you. And may, maybe you have a great job, a great family, maybe you don't, but there's this tension inside of you of, a, I just, I, I, it's just not right. And I want to tell you that tension is, is, is it's, I've, I'm sure many of you guys have heard that there is a God-shaped hole inside of all of us. That the only thing that can fill it is God. And we try to fill it with career and, and money and success and all kinds of things. But God is saying, this morning to some of you guys, let me come and fill that. I'm inviting you into my story. The story that turns out really good. I'm inviting you into that story. And so I, I just want to end by reading you guys um, I, I decided I was going to do my own translation of this song. Uh, I just thought everyone else did it. I'm going to do one too. Uh, but I just want to read this to you guys. And, and if you guys want, why don't we stand actually? Sarah, you can come on up. And 
I'm just gonna read this and, and you, can, you can, why don't we close our eyes? This could be our prayer. It's the prayer of the tension. It says, oh, come God and be with us. Rescue us for, from what enslaves us. We cry out in loneliness and feel far from home until you come. And so we rejoice. Yes, we rejoice because you are here with us. And you will bring your kingdom in its fullness. Well, come, God, and bring your light. Bring joy to our hearts. Wipe away the dark clouds, the dark night, and the, and, and the dark shadow of death. But we still rejoice. Yes, we rejoice because you are here with us. And you will bring your kingdom in its fullness. So Lord, that's our prayer this morning. That in the middle of the tension, in the middle of the turmoil, we cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Would you come and deliver us? But we rejoice because we believe that you will, that you are good. Amen. So here's how we're going to end. We're going we're gonna to sing a song. Um, Sarah's going to lead us in one more song. And then I just feel like I'll come back up and, and I feel like there's going to be a time for us to respond. And I just want as Sarah leads us in the song, I want to encourage you guys to worship, to rejoice in, in whatever you're going through, but also just to be paying attention that the Lord might be speaking to you. So we're going to keep uh, one eye on him and, and one ear on him, but we're going to praise him and also be receiving from him as well. So, so.